Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Media and Marketing at Stylus. Today we're going to be discussing how brands can respond to global volatility. The past few years of Brexit, Trump and accelerating climate change has resulted in the only constant in world affairs being uncertainty. Right now, everyone is on high alert in response to the outbreak of the coronavirus in China. Now, these events can cause disruption in all aspects of global business operations, and these shocks to the system are only going to become more frequent if the underlying causes of global instability are not addressed. So how can brands and businesses respond and adapt to the wider trends that are fueling and being fueled by this instability? To discuss this, I'm joined by Yanina Comboy, journalist at the FT who specialises in work and careers, and Mary-Anne Russon, broadcast journalist at BBC News who covers technology, business and science. Welcome to you both. So you've both written about the impact of the coronavirus on business and consumer behaviour, but how impactful has it been in your research and what areas do you think have been most affected? Mary-Anne, do you want to start? Um, I'd say at the moment, probably the most um, impacted areas, I'd say yes, that definitely has had a huge impact. Um, the, the businesses it has an impact on, it kind of differs depending on the area they're in. Probably the most impacted areas that we've seen would be travel, um, retail, but only those that re- have supply chains that rely heavily on manufacturing in China. And in um, and a, spe- a problem that's specific to Southeast Asia and now Italy is food supply chains because consumers are sort of panic buying, uh, not really for any reason, but they're just basically cleaning out the supermarkets in, because they sort of fear a sort of uh, citywide shutdown similar to what happens what's happening in China. And you need- Yeah, so for me, I've been looking at business continuity. um, And one aspect that has cropped up um, in terms of how businesses are affected is actually how employees are affected and certain unforeseen circumstances can arise. So um, certainly in China and Hong Kong, um, one thing that was happening was, okay, so you may have the infrastructure to work remotely. That's fine. But if you are parents and both your employers have given you indefinite um, leave to work from home, but the problem is your children's schools and nurseries are closed and your nannies can't come to work because they might be in self-quarantine because obviously it followed the or happened during the lunar holiday where there was lots of movement and people going off to spend time with families. Um, So you had a situation where people were struggling to work from home because who's going to take care of the children? Um, And I know um, people I spoke to, it was a real juggling act. Um, People changed the pattern of their working day. Um, One person I spoke to said that they would split their day into two chunks um, where they would focus on activities with their child who was under four um, and then take advantage of nap times and when they went to bed at night and that's and they would change their working patterns um, and they would have to work it out with their partner as well who was going to work when Um, and it's those sorts of unforeseen things which become quite difficult to manage when you're literally stuck in your four walls and trying to figure that out and you know businesses have to make sure that they're communicating with their communicating with their employees and you know their employees know what they're doing and know what the situation is um, and businesses have to make sure that they can make sure that their employees are okay <laughs> so you mentioned there that some of these things are obviously unforeseen um 
So how can brands and businesses prepare for this sort of thing? Because obviously it would appear that, you know, it's getting increasingly difficult to um, predict what's going to happen across global markets and, and, and the world in general as more of these volatile events um, uh, create more uncertainty. So how do, how do brands prepare and, 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 you know, should they be preparing for more of this stuff? Yes, I spoke to a few experts in the area of business continuity and the general consensus was that businesses do think about it and they do think about it more, but they're probably still not doing enough. Um, Let's take remote working as an example. Um, In some situations, you may have all the infrastructure in place for your employees to work from home and communicate with each other. But if you're a customer-facing business, do you have the infrastructure to communicate with your customers who are external to the business? So do you have that infrastructure in place? I mean, technology, technological advancements mean that certain ways of working are easier than perhaps they would have been in the past. Um, but, you know, you need to think about your employees' safety. Um, you need to think about things like supply chains. You need to think, think about things even like your markets and how reliant you are on, how reliant you are on certain markets versus another. So, for example, I was speaking to someone who has a consultancy business and the coronavirus had brought to light that perhaps they need to operate more widely across different markets because they'd had a China-heavy year. Um, and they had been in a situation where previously business was coming from elsewhere and they thought, OK, we need to get back to that place um, because you never know when one market really might just fall apart or right. not be accessible. Um um, but it's it's something that businesses really need to think more about. And Marianne, you write about technology a lot, so you write about startups. Um, is there a difference, do you think, for newer, younger, more agile um, businesses when it comes to coping with this sort of thing, or do they face the same challenges? I think I think it, it really depends, but I, I, I think that really we, we can't really predict life. We don't really know what's going to happen next. So in all honesty, you need to have a business that's really able to adapt to, to changes. So there's quite a few examples I can bring. But, you know, if you are a small business that heavily relies on manufacturing ch- in China or you rep- rely on suppliers um, who may, maybe you get all your supplies for your jewellery business from AliExpress, for example, you know, all of those things, it's not even just about the manufacturing. It's about distribution. If nobody's in the delivery centres, in the distribution centres, nobody's sending the goods out of China. So especially smaller businesses, they rely on all of these pre-made goods um, and and they rely on those supplies. So they'll really be impacted. However, you could argue that if a big company, um, so some retailers such as Marks and Spencers have put a lot of their manufacturing out in China, they'd similarly be affected. Um, One thing that we saw that was quite interesting this week was there's quite a big um, distribution firm, an outsourcing firm called Banzo. And Banzo's earning call, in, in their earnings call this week, they basically said that they had high stock levels and they weren't really worried about the coronavirus outbreak at the moment because they had seen, it was a sort of happy accident, they'd seen that they knew they needed more stock ahead of the Chinese Lunar, year, uh, Lunar New Year period. So they just accidentally or incidentally overstocked. And then so now their warehouses were full of stock. And so therefore their CEO was like... Well, we don't have a problem. But what we've, in talking to other retail experts, 
this discussion's been we've had been having these discussions at the BBC. We've been discussing about should you just stock a load, grab a load of stock and chuck it in a warehouse. But what we're hearing is that warehouses are really expensive. And also it also depends on your business. Is it seasonal? If you're in retail, there's no point. Nobody's wanting the stuff. And what they're saying is that if your if your shipments were not shipped out at some point by mid-January, before the 23rd of, ja- 23rd of January, all your spring-summer collections, if you needed them fairly soon, you're not getting them for a couple of months, possibly up to three months. And then will the, will the customer still want them once you get that? So it's, it's a really difficult balancing act because in some ways big companies could be more affected, right, if they've got more stuff coming from China. But equally, if you're a smaller company, which means all your profits straight away, all your margins straight away go back into the business, you can't afford to have one or two shipments be delayed. So we've talked about um, the challenges for for businesses in general. Uh, What about business leadership? What are the skills that are going to be needed in the years ahead as as global uncertainty becomes the norm? Marianne? So basically, um, you know, in relation to what we were talking about just now, in relation to this, you know, the the problem is, is we do not know if a famine will hit. We do not know if some terrible disaster will hit. Although apparently on Twitter they're going on about a book which apparently predicted the coronavirus happening in 2020. Oh, the Dean R. Kuntz book. Yes, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty fascinating. But apart from that, we don't really know what happens. I think it is generally in in the sort of staff you hire and the sort of structures you have in your company, whether you encourage quick thinking and adapting or whether you constantly say to your staff, we've always done it this way. We don't want your new idea. Because I think a lot of companies are having to adapt now. So with London Fashion Week, all the designers are having to go, right, it's going to cost us more money, but I can't have my models walking out onto the catwalk with nothing on. So I will go to this British company in London um, who will make the same goods for me, but they're going to cost three times more than China. But never mind. It's in London. I will get this. My models will have something to wear for Milan, for London. And so that's already happened. And so that London company is extremely happy and they're doing really well but then they would also have had to adapt and go right well I suddenly need to produce a lot more stock maybe I'm going to need to bring in all of my freelance workers maybe I'm going to need to hire more people in quickly because I've suddenly got a huge demand from all these designers at fashion week who are worried about all the European shows um, there's another example um, which I'm which I'm very interested in and I'm, I'm, I'm constantly following their journey online is what's happening with the Diamond Princess and the Princess Cruises staff and then company and how they basically decided, right, this is a rubbish situation. These 3,700 people have had a rubbish experience. We have decided that we will take it onto our balance sheets, that we're going to refund every single cost, their whole cruise, all of their transfers. We're giving them full credit for a new cruise. On top of that, we also had to pay our staff during this and the staff, they made contingency plans whereby they spent more money on content and entertainment because all of the basically if you're not familiar on the diamond princess 3700 people were in quarantine they were stuck in their cabins 24/7 and they were allowed to take a walk outside on the gangway twice a week for 1 hour so you're literally in this tiny cabin which is probably you know the size of some people's bathrooms for the whole day and you just have food left outside your door and so what they did was they invested in bringing in more content for the in-house tv channels they used their cruise directors to film hourly sort of updates film the same programs from an empty studio and sort of say you know coming to you we're keeping you going they brought in extra sort of toys all sorts of things for anybody anywhere any cabin which had children under 18 so they're teenagers bringing extra gifts extra stuff lots of things for them you know facilities 
facilitate having Amazon Prime deliveries done really quickly and get them on board. And then when the so the so the guests have been very thankful and they've been posting about it on social media and they said, "Do we have to give any of this stuff back?" And they're like, "No, nah, it's fine. Take that with you." So you know, this is going to cost them a lot of money. And I've I've tried to quiz them for the financials, and obviously they're not they don't really <laughs> want to tell me that. But if you think about it, if they haven't spent too much money and you know they do they do thousands of cruises, right? So they might they probably their balance sheets will be okay from this. But you know if they their focus when this situation happened was probably how to try and damage control so that whatever the Japanese health officials did, because there's been a lot of criticism over how the Japanese health authorities have handled this ship being stuck in the harbour in Yokohama, they don't want to come out looking like the bad guy. So this is almost like a crisis communication. It's like an opportunity for positive publicity. But if you mess this up or you mess up your customers, they're never coming back and your cruise, your whole entire cruise operation could be impacted if they felt that you weren't understanding of the situation or that you made it harder for them. So there's probably a lot of work's been going on in the background. And when we asked them for an interview, they wanted to give us one this week. But then they said, no, we can't because we're still worrying about getting these people home. And now there's more problems with the worries about whether or not the quarantine procedures were done were done carefully or not. So there's a lot of concerns whereby you can see they're probably freaking out every day trying to see how do we not have our business, which has been running just fine, blow up because of something that had nothing to do with us. Wow. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a hell of a challenge. I mean, you know, from from your perspective, you know, leadership, business leadership is something that you write about. Yeah, I mean, talking more generally about sort of crisis management and all those kinds of things. I know I spoke to a couple of people when I was researching my piece on business continuity in particular. And um, it's very important that, you know, the leadership skills that you need are first and foremost in this kind of situation is um, the ability ability to communicate effectively and be honest about the situation. Don't try and hide things. Don't try and delay um, telling people the bad news. You really need to deal with it immediately. Um, And the reality is, is that we live in a time where it's always uncertain. For example, you know, I also cover business education. And one of the themes that's always cropping up now um, is that any line of management or leadership that you want to go into, the one thing that will be a constant and almost has, almost has to become normal is uncertainty. And in the context of business continuity, if you take that seriously and you invest in that enough um, and the leadership teams take it seriously enough... When these things do happen, it's tough to manage. But if you've invested in it, it will give you more breathing space to think about some of the unforeseen circumstances and think about how you can um, do more in the context of the cruise ship, for example. Um, Someone somewhere, obviously, they must have a team that regularly deal with this stuff um, or think about how it you know, certain situations might affect them. Um, And they obviously must be a company that invest in this because they obviously had time to think, okay, well, we've got the situation. How do we make sure that these people who are essentially, you know, in their, not their care, but in effect, they're kind of responsible for them. So it's important that, you know, any leadership um, of any company um, thinks about, okay, 
in these situations, it's not about really just the company. Um, and it's not just about its reputation. It almost becomes a collective effort for everybody to make sure that there's a the best outcome for everybody because, well, you don't want your business to fail. So doing the right thing means you're likely to come out the other side and, you know, you might be damaged, but you might at least survive. So at Stylus, we're, we're keeping uh, track of, of this situation and, and updating um, on the, the, the stories of, of brand reaction that we think are most useful um, to, to our clients. And one of the things that I've been writing about in that respect is uh, the way in which brands in China have been using live streaming um, as a way of continuing to connect with their customers and also as a way of keeping their staff busy because you can live stream from your home. Um, and it, it's an interesting uh, sort of tipping point for this technology. And we saw a similar kind of situation in the early 2000s with the SARS outbreak where there was a big shift in Chinese consumer behavior um, with, again, many people stuck at home trying online shopping for the first time, um, which Alibaba uh, sort of capitalized on at the time, creating uh, Taobao. And that became a mainstream behavior quite soon afterwards. So I think uh, I'd be interested to hear about whether you think there's going to be a similar kind of shift in consumer behavior um, as a result of the, the current situation. Marianne, do you have thoughts well, on that? Well, first of all, I can tell you that I actually lived through the SARS outbreak because I was an expat kid living out in Singapore. And um, uh, the cleaner in my college was actually, I came down with SARS and um, our um, whole college had to be shut for a week, um, 13,000 students sent home while they cleaned the whole premises. Um, and then we had hourly temperature checks by our lecturers um, for a while. Um, so it was it was actually quite a scary period. But I mean, what I mean, I'd say that from my experience, com- uh, combined with what the experts are saying, what they're saying is that the SARS outbreak was really minuscule compared to what's happening now. Um, you know, for example, I, I don't know if it's a change in consumer behavior, but there was no panic buying. Um, now, all of my friends in Singapore, they're constantly posting memes and getting hugely frustrated that there isn't a big problem in Singapore because we they learned from the SARS. I mean, in, when the SARS happened, there was a family that just walked around the part of the part of the island that I lived on and just chilled for five hours and infected untold numbers of people. Um, and you know, they didn't. Nobody thought about it then. But but because we they went through SARS, now the Singapore government really contained everything really 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 quickly. So there isn't actually a problem. The problem is that the consumer mindset and the thought of maybe I should panic buy. Um, but that there was no panic buying back then. People just stayed at home. We just stayed at home and chilled out, and nobody thought it was that big a deal. Like they were stressed. But if you were to look at the stress level for the coronavirus, it's 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 like ten times, tenfold that. So I mean, in terms of consumer behavior, the only thing that I've seen that's massively different is just that loads of Chinese people in China are stuck at home, and so there's been a massive explosion of mobile app downloads. And I think the FT reco- um, reported that, didn't you? That um, it was basically up forty percent compared the whole to the whole of last year so they've got nothing to do so they're basically downloading mobile apps but I don't think it's going to have an impact on online shopping because this is what the retail experts were saying was sort of be you 
if you even if you work in that distribution center, let's say you've packaged a good, you don't fancy going to deliver it to that area which is in the quarantine. You don't want to go there, um, you know. And, and and to my knowledge of Chinese people and the way they work, and they they often do get extremely. Um, there's a very cultural thing about being really worried about your health and running to the doctor about anything, particularly in Southeast Asia. That's that, that's that's quite well known, and that's why the panic buying and all that sort of anxiety comes from. So nobody wants to go anywhere near anybody. But in general, what they're sort of saying is that for them, consumer confidence is probably at an all-time low. Nobody cares about buying anything right now, and they're not going to be caring about spending lots of money on things they don't need for a while. Um, so, so that you know, I'd, I'd say that maybe that's the biggest changes. And you know, obviously, we had our luxury expert tell us the other week we've never seen all luxury sales go to zero, <laughs> like not not even dip a bit, but just the whole mall just goes. To nothing. So you could be a big brand, you could be a small brand. Nobody's having any money because there's nobody to retail your product. Nobody wants to come to the mall, and every all the workers want to stay at home and hide away as well. So then you your industry just grinds to a complete halt. So th- I would say that's the unforeseen that we haven't seen. But I I wouldn't say to my knowledge, apart from people creating more content and maybe might see more Chinese influencers coming about because they've got nothing to do. I don't think it will see a, a massive technology shift change. Yeah, I would agree with that because um, I was speaking to someone who's based in Beijing and even though Beijing wasn't under lockdown completely, people were sort of like self-quarantined. Um, they were saying, you know, you could shop online, but you have no idea if your products will arrive. So why bother? I just wanted to go back to a point you made um, just a bit earlier about the the panic that you've seen now as opposed to how it was um, with the SARS outbreak, is this something which you think is being driven by the fact that there is so much information out there because of the the social media that we have now? And, and, you know, how how much of an impact is misinformation having? And is there anything that, you know, the sort of people who might be listening to this podcast, brands, businesses, marketers, creatives, is there something that can be done that the role they can play in terms of not particularly, not necessarily with coronavirus, but just in terms of how we are uh, entering a, an age of misinformation. Um, it, it's becoming uh, as much of a crisis as anything else. I do think that is actually quite a difficult. Um, I do think that's actually quite a difficult proposition because it really depends what industry you're in, um, and also the problem is that consumers view big corporates as being the bad guy, the big capitalistic entity. So, for example, the the number one people who should be saying that you know if you don't vaccinate your children, they will die, should be the big pharma companies. But equally, you're not going to listen to a big pharma company if they say get your children vaccinated. You'd say you're trying to sell sell us some drugs. So. You, you know, I, I think it's very difficult for businesses to wade into this. And I think you have to be very careful about wading into things that have not got much to do with you. Brands globally now are trying to have some kind of positive social impact. Um, I guess the question is, can they and still be successful brands? Should they? Uh, and, and what's your take from a, from a sort of um, a business perspective? I think, you know... Purpose is the watchword at the moment, for sure. Um, And things like sustainability. And it is really important. Um, Going back to the point I made about business education and uncertainty being a hot topic. um, You know, if you go and do an MBA, there's demand now for, you know, um, what does it mean to be um, a sustainable business that has a social impact? But I think 
big businesses that already exist, they have to be careful that it's not just a token effort. It has to be proper. It has to be managed. I mean, maybe um, there's a case for really big corporates having foundations which focus properly on investing money in proper schemes that have a wide impact. And also they need to be very careful that in solving one problem, they don't create another problem. Because if you make one-off donations or that sort of thing, you don't know what side effect, negative side effect that that might have. I think essentially what consumers want, because there's been a lot of issues with very big multinational corporations doing horrible things since the 80s, is we, I think they want to know that companies are made of groups of people who care rather than some big guys sitting at the top, a bunch of executives sitting at the top who are earning a lot of money and being quite happy with that money. I do agree with the suggestion that there should be foundations. Um, you know, For example, Disney or Apple or Amazon could really benefit from putting in a lot of money, into putting some excess money into a foundation. And then you know, rather than Jeff Bezos saying, I want to spend money on space, basically saying to the public, what are some of the biggest issues that you think that we could do? And Amazon's got all this money. They could be doing R&D into removing the plastic packaging on sort of certain things, how to make your supply chains more green. The, the companies have got the money to throw around, invest it in solving a societal problem. That probably would be of use. But do you need to wreck your whole company and make it be completely vegan? and completely healthy, that that only works to a certain point, but then that only suits a specific audience. I think essentially, you know, we're we're never going to not need consumer goods. We're never going to not need food to eat, need clothes to wear, need holidays to go on, need entertainment, need content. These things don't change fundamentally. I think the consumer just wants to know that there's actually a person who cares behind it and not somebody who says, I don't mind ripping off millions of people so that a few people can get rich. Thank you very much for a fascinating and informative conversation. I'd like to thank my guests, Janina Conboy and Marianne Russen. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends that you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available. 